In this episode of the Euctropolis podcast, the controversial D7 chord, how low G changes the sound of chord twins, and what should be an open secret in ukulele, the guide finger. Hi, and welcome back to the Euctropolis podcast. For more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions, I'm your host, James Hill, and in this episode, we're going to go into some student questions from one of my favorite courses on Euctropolis, and that is Booster Uke. So buckle up and let's blast off. Well, one week ago today, the Perseverance rover landed on the surface of Mars. That was just one week ago. And uh, I know that's an awful long way to go to scoop up a bit of space dust, but as somebody who's always been fascinated by astronomy and the planets and exploration, you know, I I just can't help but get into it. And uh, I know we have a lot of problems here on planet Earth that we need to solve. But I also think that when we explore and we travel, we learn things and, and those lessons come back home eventually. So that's what I'm hoping for here. So all this talk of exploration and rockets just brings me back to the point of uh, this podcast, which is to go over some student questions from the course Booster Uke. Yep, Booster Uke. That's the one with the rocket, you know, taking off and, and, and taking you from beginner to intermediate in just 10 lessons. Pretty dramatic. But, but the thing is, it is pretty dramatic uh, because Booster Uke takes advantage of one amazing, I would say, near-miraculous fretboard phenomenon and that is the phenomenon of chord twins. And chord twins are two chords that look and feel almost identical and that have a very strong harmonic relationship. Or I get these chords, these pairs of chords. They sound like two very different chords, but they use the same chord shape. So I only have my my fingers in one position, and I'm able, by moving that that position sort of laterally, I'm able to get these wonderful sounding twin pairs. It's a it's a great great loophole in the musical universe that we can do this on the ukulele. This is not something that really works on other instruments. I have talked to guitar players over the years and banjo players and mandolin players and dulcimer players and fiddle players. And, and I asked them, you know, does this happen on your instrument? Do you get this chord twinning kind of phenomenon? And, uh, and the answer basically is no. This is a, a uniquely ukulele thing. Um, you can make it work on the guitar if you if you selectively leave out certain strings in order to not mess it up, but that requires really knowing what you're doing, which kind of defeats the whole purpose. 
because the beautiful thing about chord twins is that they make more advanced and more interesting music accessible to beginners. It helps to just boost you literally over that hump of of sort of being a beginner and not being sure if you're ready to be an intermediate player. I don't know if I'm ready for blues and jazz and Hawaiian music and you know I'm not sure if I'm ready for that. Well, with chord twins, you are ready for that. That's what it does. It pulls you along out of that beginner plateau and into a much wider more expansive musical vista. That's the whole point. And so if you haven't already taken advantage of this amazing ukulele loophole, please give it a shot because you're not going to regret it. There's a reason why this is the most popular course on Euctropolis. So that's where we're headed today. And we're going to start with a question from one of our Booster Uke students. This is Mark. And Mark is working on lesson number four, the Hawaiian twins. Beautiful, relaxing sound of the Hawaiian twins. Which, by the way, as students learn in this course, are not just for Hawaiian music at all, but that sure is a great place to start with them. He says, uh, I'm excited to learn about these twin chords. It's really opening my eyes. But Mark says, my confusion is with the D7 chord. This one here. 2020. Those are the names of the frets from the ceiling down to the floor. 2020. Mark says, with most songbooks, including Hawaiian songbooks, uh, they show the chord played in a different way. They show it played like this. Two, 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 three. Okay, that's, again, the frets from the ceiling down to the floor. Two, 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 three. Okay, so two different ways to play D7. Mark says, are they equivalent and interchangeable? Or are there times when one is preferred over the other? Well, this is a, a really good question. Thank you, Mark. Um, and it's one that comes up time and time again um, with students as they really start to understand, like you are, they really start to understand that there are always many ways to play a given chord. Always. And this is part of the joy of ukulele. It's also part of the frustration of ukulele, that there isn't just one way to play each chord. You can never really just put a big tick mark beside D7 and say, I know it. <laughs> I know it all. Uh, for, forever and ever, uh, I know D7. Because there's always new D7s to discover. You know, there's this one and this one and this one, this one. You know, those are all D7s. They're all taking the same notes of the D7 chord and just shuffling them a little bit, um, putting some up high, some down low. A chord is very much like a, like a deck of cards. If you think of each card being a note in that chord, when I shuffle the deck, I get a new version of that chord. We call that a new voicing. When you shuffle them up and you put them in a different order, that's a new voicing. 
And so I can just keep shuffling the deck and putting them in, in a different orders over and over and getting new voicings. So a chord is much more than just that one stamp that you see on the music. A chord is many, many possibilities. And at any given time, you're going to choose one of those possible voicings of that chord. And that's what we've done here with D7. And because the focus of Booster Uke is so squarely on the accessibility of these chords, the ergonomics of these chords, then the two-finger variation obviously makes the most sense because it's the most accessible. It's the easiest to play, and it twins so beautifully with G6. But I want to go a little bit deeper into this question because uh, Mark has put his finger on something that, um, that has come up many times in sort of online forum discussions. And these discussions around D7, I tell you, they get pretty intense because people around the world are very passionate about the D7 chord. And you, it sort of like splits into two camps. You've got some people who say 2020 is a legitimate D7, full stop. And then you've got other people who say, that is not a D7. We, we can't call that D7 because it's missing a note. Yeah, it doesn't have a D note in it. How can you call this D7 if it has no D note? Because if you look really carefully and you add up all the notes here in this two-finger version of D7, we've got the A note, we've got the C note, we've got the F sharp note, and we've got the A note again double of the A note. Okay, so the one, you know, conspicuously absent note is D, the root of that chord. How can you have a chord that doesn't even contain the root note, the note after which the chord is named? Surely you have to have that root note in there. Well, this is one of those debates that just rages like wildfire once you get going on it. My, my view on this is I do accept that this is a D7 chord, and I accept that there, there's a thing called rootless voicings. And this was, you know, pioneered by uh, Bill Evans, the wonderful jazz pianist. He often played chords uh, that did not have the root in them for, for two reasons. Number one, somebody else in the band is probably going to play that note, most likely the bass player. So that note's going to get played by somebody. And second of all, even if you don't have a band, the ear, the inner ear of the listener is so uh, familiar with how this chord should sound and how it functions that it's, it's amazing. Now, it doesn't really need you to state the obvious. The root of the, of the chord is the most obvious part of that chord. And playing it is... I think it's kind of optional. I mean, you, you don't really have any trouble feeling like away and coming home. I mean, it feels right. And if it feels right, then for all intents and purposes, it is right. The one thing that you can say for a fact is that this two-finger version of D7 is, in fact, missing the note D. That is true, and you can't deny that. It is missing a note. The question really is, 
so what? If it functions as the D7 chord, and if everybody feels the feeling of the D7 chord, uh, you know, does it really matter? I think uh, leaving out the root in this case is on the scale of sort of um, wrongdoing, <laughs> musical wrongdoing, is kind of on the level of mismatched socks, you know, or um, slurping the last bit of soup from your bowl. I mean, yeah, you're breaking the rules, but just a tiny little bit. So those are my thoughts on D7. Uh, Mark, I hope that helps. uh, And thank you for the interesting question. Let's go down to a question from Sheila, also from Booster Uke. Sheila's working on Lesson 5, The Minor Twins, Part 1. The Minor Twins are these ones. Two great chords. In fact, they might actually be the most versatile two chords on the entire ukulele fretboard. And Sheila's question is... I wonder how this will sound if I put a low G string on my ukulele. And would I play the same way to do the arpeggio part? Thanks for the question, Sheila. This is kind of a two-parter, so let's take it uh, one part at a time. So first of all, if you're playing E minor and B7 and you put a low G string on, there's no question it's going to change the sound. In fact, let's do that right now. I've got another ukulele right here that I've tuned with the low G string. So that's my dog has fleas instead of my dog has fleas. The the my note, that's the fourth string. That note is now down an octave. My dog has fleas. And this, of course, is going to change the 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 feeling the, the the voicing of the chords it's not going to change the notes themselves because uh, this is just this is still a G it's just lower okay so this one is going to sound so you can hear that that low G uh, sort of ringing out. Let me go back to the high G just real quick. So you see how with the high G, you, you, you take away that sort of bassier tone. And what it does is it, is it moves the notes closer together, which has the overall effect of making it a little more forgiving as a tuning. The high G is a little more forgiving, I find, uh, especially for beginners. With the low G, you do expand the range, but you're, there's a little more responsibility to get that low G string to really be in tune because it really stands out if it's not in tune. 
with the high G, uh, that you know, the, the the slightly out of tuneness can be sort of absorbed more into the chord. And I'm not saying use the high G as a crutch, but it does have a slightly more forgiving feel about it. So that's how the sound changes. Now, the second part of Sheila's question is, would I play the same way if I'm doing the arpeggio part? Now, arpeggio is just a fancy word that means play the chord one note at a time. Instead of strumming, play each string like this. That's an arpeggio. And I honestly think that arpeggios are the single easiest, fastest way to avoid what some people call incessant strumming syndrome, or uh, ISS for short. You know, I mean, I love strumming as much as anybody else, but sometimes it's nice to break it up, especially if you're in a group, and uh, or even if just when you're playing alone. Uh, you know, sometimes that same kind of broad brush stroke of strumming is overpowering and you want to sort of change up the sound without having to change up your technique very much. So you can do this instead. All I'm doing is letting my thumb fall through the strings. My left hand doesn't do anything differently. Even when I change chords, just letting my my thumb fall through each string, my right thumb, and I can make little rhythms like that. And now it sounds, it kind of sounds like I'm getting fancy, right? Ooh, but I'm not really because my left hand is doing exactly the same thing that it always was. For all it knows, we're still strumming. It's the right hand that is falling through the strings, cascading down from the fourth to the first. And that's what makes this sound different. It's kind of like aerating the sound. Instead of playing all those notes all the time, all together, I'm just letting them waterfall out of the instrument. And uh, it's a really nice way to change up the sound. So Sheila's question is, if I do have the low G, am I going to do this the same way? Well, maybe. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the sound that you want to hear. So let's just do it. Here, I've got the low G uke right here. And the song that Sheila's working on is called Oh Mary, Don't You Weep. Normally it would sound like this. Oh Mary, don't you weep, don't you mourn. Oh Mary, don't you weep, don't you mourn. Pharaoh's army got drowned. Oh Mary, don't you weep. Okay, great. So I've got my basic chords where they should be on the fretboard. But now it's up to the right hand to bring some variation. And let's see how this sounds with an arpeggio. Oh, Mary, don't you weep, don't you mourn. Oh, Mary, don't you weep, don't you mourn. Pharaoh's army got 
Mary, don't you weep. Okay. See how it really changes the, the feeling of it. Uh, a lot, there's a lot less rhythmic energy, but it kind of pulls you in. It creates a vacuum that's, ooh, something's happening here. Let's, let's lean in uh, on, to hear that arpeggio. So it's up to you which one you want to use, but do you do anything differently with the low G? Not necessarily. Here's what it sounds like just on its own. Okay, so it definitely works just fine, right out of the box without changing anything. Just taking my right hand thumb and playing each string once, from the fourth string down to the first. But the reason I'm not giving a really clear straight answer on this is that, honestly, I don't love that sound. I, I just personally, I don't love that voicing. And this brings us to really kind of like the, the Achilles heel, I suppose, of booster uke. And that is, it's so much fun. It works so well. It just, it's, it's like a booster rocket for a beginner. But it's not the end-all and be-all because it's completely focused on accessibility and ergonomics. It's all about here are some sophisticated, difficult-sounding songs that you can play very easily. I guess Booster Uke, in some ways, is all about getting a confidence boost. It's all about you can do this. Look at you playing the blues. Look at you playing Hawaiian music and jazz. But in a case like this, like if I was just going to play that music first, I probably wouldn't do that. I'd probably go like this. I think that's a nicer sound. But that chord that I'm starting with here, that chord there is a voicing of E minor that goes four, four, three, two. Yeah, four, four, three, two. That's the frets from the ceiling down to the floor. And suddenly that doesn't twin anymore with the B7. And I've sort of gone outside the realm of booster uke and chord twins because now I'm following my ear. I'm letting my ear decide and saying, this is the sound I want, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that sound. As opposed to Booster Uke, which says, this is the feeling that I want in my hands, and I'm just going to accept whatever sound I get, as long as it's sort of in the ballpark. Chalmers Doan, who is the godfather of Canadian ukulele, a good friend of mine, and somebody I would consider uh, to be a mentor, has an expression that he uses all the time, which is uh, an amateur practices until they get it right, a professional practices until they can't get it wrong. And there's a, there's, a, there's a world of distinction there between the two. And I think that's true, but I want to add one more statement to that. I would say an amateur practices until they get it right, a professional practices until they can't get it wrong, and an artist practices until they can play what's in their head. That's a different level again. 
And this, Sheila, is, is an opportunity for you to start exploring that. Follow your hands and the feeling in your fingertips, but then listen closely and say, is that the sound I want? If it is, you're in luck <laughs> because Booster U makes this easy. But if it's not quite the sound you hear in your head, what do you have to do to get that sound? And what are you willing to do to get that sound? Thank you, Sheila, for the really interesting question, and I hope that helps. We have time for one more question from a Booster Uke student. This one comes from Bruce, who's working on lesson six, the minor twins part two, the second part of the lesson that Sheila had been working on. And Bruce says, um, he says, James, I don't see this piece as being that easy. The three finger chord uh, shapes that are changing at a reasonable speed are quite challenging for me, but I'll get it sooner or later. This is a great method of yours, and I really feel like I'm learning music as I go. Many thanks. Okay, <laughs> Bruce, thank you for the kind words, but also thank you for the, the honest feedback and just telling it like it is. Uh, you say, look, I just don't think this is that easy. <laughs> and and I, I kind of love that because uh, it takes me back to when I was a teenager in, in my early 20s, I was... Um, teaching swimming. Actually, I was coaching a, a swimming club that I had swum in myself uh, when, I was a, when I was a kid, uh, speed swimming. And uh, there was always this debate around how much fun should we be having versus how much work should we put, be uh, putting in. Some parents were on one side of the fence, some parents were on the other. Some parents would say, look, I want you to just... Uh, work my kid until they're, you know, they're sweating bullets. And other parents would drop their kids off and say, look, we just want our kids to be, you know, splashing around and going off the slide. And we basically want you to babysit them for an hour. And it's like, oh man, how do you, how do you meet in the middle there? You, you've got a, a group of maybe 10 or 15 kids with totally different sort of family expectations of what fun is. You know, how easy should this be? How fun should this be? And uh, there's no right answer, obviously. There's just uh, different opinions about it. But um, I personally kind of think that um, there's only so easy it can get before it, it's kind of meaningless, right? Um, the memories that I have of that time are usually memories of achieving something that I didn't think I could do uh, and sweating it out and overcoming the obstacle and getting there in spite of the obstacle. And, and I don't mean that I never went down the slide or jumped off the diving board or had a bit of fun, but I, I don't really remember those things. They don't really stand out in my memory. Going down the slide is just kind of a generic memory of going down the slide. But I have specific memories of accomplishing tasks that I 
thought I would never accomplish. And so, Bruce, getting back to your question, you know, I'm bringing that with me. I'm I'm bringing that experience from my life with me into the way that I'm designing these courses, and into the content that I've that I've chosen. And there's no question that Booster Uke has a focus on ease of playing. There's no question. I mean, we have students who have physical disabilities, uh, arthritis, students who are missing fingers in some cases, or um, students who just have very weak tendons or muscles or just have very small hands or are just starting out. There's so many reasons why Booster Uke appeals because of its ease of use. But at the end of the day, it's worth it. When you learn St. James Infirmary Blues, or when you learn and master careless love in that jazzy style that is presented in, in this method, you're going to remember that. You're going to remember that moment where it clicked, and you'll carry that with you the rest of your life. And in the meantime, here's one tip that might actually help to, to keep you moving forward. Uh, I know, Bruce, you mentioned specifically three finger chord shapes that are changing relatively quickly with these minor twins. Um, one thing you can do that I, that I still feel is like the best kept secret in ukulele is using the guide finger, using a guide finger. This should not be a secret. It is part of this Booster Ute course, uh, one of the lessons I, I talk about it. And uh, of course, I want you to sign up for the course. And of course, I don't want to give away all my content on the podcast. But honestly, I don't think this should be a secret. This should be something that everyone is aware of and that everybody takes advantage of because it is it's such a fundamental thing that I feel is so often overlooked. And that is really if you look at the left hand of a professional ukulele player of, or of a proficient ukulele player, you'll notice that not all the fingers move simultaneously. One of them, usually the index finger, like 99% of the time, the index finger is going to move first. It's going to go ahead of the other fingers and kind of scout out the next location. And when it arrives at its spot for the next chord, it kind of says, okay, coast is clear, everybody come on down. And the other fingers follow. Now, this can happen very quickly, so you need to watch really closely. But when you start to look for it, you'll see it. And when you start to use it, you will feel it. How this facilitates those changes. Uh, It makes the daunting prospect of moving three fingers sort of simultaneously, it makes that a lot more doable. So try that. Move the guide finger first. Make sure the guide finger is where it needs to be, and the other fingers will follow. Thanks for the comment, Bruce. I hope that helps. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Euktropolis podcast. My name is James Hill. I'll be back again next week with more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions. And in the meantime, check out euktropolis.com. We've got a library of unique online ukulele courses. You can take a free lesson from any one of those courses. 
And we even have a free course called Peace Like an Ukulele, which is all about relaxing and playing beautiful music. Until next week, take care and keep on strumming.